We'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper a little bit later in this service. And every time we as a church have celebrated the Supper this year, we've picked up this sermon series, One Together, where we reflect on different aspects of this meal that the Lord has given us. And we'll continue in that today by reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll read 1 Corinthians 11 from verse 17 to verse 34. Hear the word of the Lord. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. I'm going to begin this morning by talking about selling pew space. And I'd like to ask all of you to stand. If this would be a big hardship for you, don't. But if you're able to, please stand for just a couple minutes. Historically, for most of the history of the church, this is how God's people worshipped. They would come, and we would all be standing for the whole service. And you can imagine how that might be motivating for people to have shorter services, right? But at some point, people started to have this bright idea. What if we put some seats in the sanctuary? And then some people had this really bright idea. What if we sell the ability to put seats in the sanctuary? So if you can afford to have a bench built for yourself, you can sit. And if you can't afford it, well, you can go ahead and keep standing. So let me ask the people here in the middle two sections, if you could sit down, the rest of you keep standing up for a minute. A little bit envious, maybe? Well, over the years, these benches and pews and seats in the church became more and more fancy, and, and there was more of this dynamic that if you were sitting, you were wealthy. So congratulations. And if you were standing, 
you were not so wealthy. Sorry. But these pews became more like box seats. They were built with walls, and they had windows, and they had doors, and, and you, could, you could even put a fireplace in them in some places in case you got a little cold over the course of the winter. And some of them even had curtains where when you were sitting there in your luxurious box pew, you could, you could put the curtains around and you could block off your sight of all those annoying poor people who were still standing around in the back of church. All right, you can all have a seat. Now, when they were selling pew space, buying your own pew wasn't really about the pew. It was about your own comfort. And it was about your own status. If you were wealthy enough, you could buy the nicest pew and you could decorate it in a way that showed to everybody else how special you were and, and by implication how not special everybody else was. If I'm powerful enough, if I'm wealthy enough, I get what I want. And everybody knows that. I get what I want, how I want, when I want because, because I am who I am. People were extraordinarily selfish in how they bought and in how they used those pews. And that selfishness is the issue that's driving the Corinthians in this text too. So let's talk about that today. Let's talk about how the Corinthians that Paul, who wrote this letter, was writing to, how they were practicing not the Lord's Supper, but a selfish supper. And that's our second point for today. Within the church, within the family of God, people were pushing themselves forward and pushing other people back. And Paul, when he writes to this church, he says, I hear there are divisions among you, and, and when you come together to eat, some of you go ahead of others without waiting for them. And some of you eat and drink so much that you get drunk, and so there's nothing left, and some others go hungry. Some of you consume everything in sight, and you humiliate your brothers and sisters in Christ, and what are you people thinking? Now, verse 21 in the NIV, in our translation, says, some people go ahead without waiting for anybody else. And there's a little different way to translate that that I think gets more of the sense. And that way is some people consume all the food. Some people go ahead and consume all the food without welcoming anybody else to the table. Some people consume all the food without waiting or without welcoming anybody else to the table. And to us, that sounds like bad manners, but in the ancient Greco-Roman world, that was actually pretty much standard practice. In the ancient Greco-Roman world, rich people, rich hosts, would, would have these celebratory meals, and they'd invite people over, but there was always a clear hierarchy. So in these ancient, big Roman, Greco-Roman houses, they would have a square or a rectangle house, a large square or rectangle house, and then they'd have a big courtyard in the middle of it. So courtyard in the middle, walls all the way around. But inside the house, there'd be a dining room. And the dining room could hold maybe 8, 9, 10 people. The atrium could hold maybe 30, 40, 50 people. And at these dinner parties that this rich host would give, he'd, he'd invite a bunch of people. And then he and his buddies, he and the powerful people, he and the, the cool kids would all get to sit in the dining room inside. And they would eat first. And they would have the best food. And they would have the most food. And they would have the best wine. And after they were done, the other people, the people out there, the less important people, they would get the leftovers. They would get wine that wasn't so great. 
they would get a bit of food, but not really enough. And this was all intentional. This was all a way for the rich guy to say, hey, my buddies and I, we matter. Those of us in here matter, and those of you out there, eh, I'll give you a little bit. But you really, you're not that important. But I am. I get what I want, how I want, when I want. And that Roman practice, that cultural practice had made its way into the church, and it had, effect, it had affected how the Corinthians practiced the Lord's Supper. Now, we have our own different spin on this these days, but we are still playing these games. And even if it's just in our minds, there are some people who we think are more important, and there are others who we think are less important. And some of us put ourselves in the more important category, and we think whether we'd actually say this or not, we think that we're the ones who matter. Anything we can do about that, Dan, or is it just life? What? All right. I'm going to actually reset my mic a second, and we'll see. Give me the pulpit for just a second. So... Right now, my microphone is thinking, ha, 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 I matter more than the rest of you, and I'm in control. All right, Dan, why don't you try my mic one more time? All right. We'll try this again. All right, so there are some of us, even today, who think we're the important ones. And whether we'd say this or not, we think, I matter a little bit more than the other people. And the other people, I mean, they're, they're okay, but really... They're around here to, to serve me. And there are others of us, and we might never say this either, but we know that we aren't that important. We know that we're always at the end of the line, and we're not that wealthy, we're not that powerful, we're not that gifted, and so we've just kind of gotten used to being, used to being at the end of the line. Now, the book of Corinthians comes to believers in both of those situations, and it comes with a wrecking ball for those assumptions. It comes and it says, at this table, nobody is more important or less important. There's this jump at the beginning of the text that Paul is talking about what, what the believers do when they gather in Corinth for this supper. And then he makes this jump to talking about how Christ instituted the supper. And we can imagine when the Corinthians first heard that read, they would sort of go, wait a second, we're talking about us. And now, why are we going all the way back to what Jesus did? And the answer is that what Jesus did defines what the church does now. It defines the meaning of this supper. And we need to move from a selfish supper to the Lord's sacrificial supper. That's our third movement for today. The Lord's supper shows that Jesus has paid for us. The Lord has paid for us at the cost of his own life. And the Lord does not show favoritism at this table. We do not come as rich and poor, more important and less important. We come as those saved by Jesus. And that is all we need when we come to the table of the church. And that is all we have. Jesus' body, Jesus' blood given for us. Jesus' body, Jesus' blood given for us. 
We do not have to pay when we come. We cannot pay the price of admission to this table. But there are no pews for sale here. Jesus has already bought a seat for each and every one of us. Jesus has paid it all for all of us. And so if you feel like you're one of those more important people, it's time to take a humility pill. You don't really matter all that much. And if you're one of those people who feel like you don't really matter, well, here, even if you feel like you've been passed over by the world, here you matter. Because Jesus died for all of us. Christ sacrificed himself, and that, that sacrifice for us gives all of us a value beyond what we could ever achieve on our own. For those of us who are always trying to build ourselves up and always worried that we aren't good enough, the sacrifice of Jesus says, in God's eyes, you are good enough. And for those of us who know that we could never measure up anyway, the sacrifice of the Lord says, still, still you are a child of God and your life is worth, worth everything. So however you come this morning, give up yourself and accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, this has a, a vertical dimension in our relationship with the Lord, but it also has a horizontal dimension in how we relate to other people. And to get us to that, I want to talk about the scum of the earth for a minute. The scum of the earth. So there's this church in Denver called the scum of the earth. That's what's on their board out front. And, and it's based on a passage earlier in 1 Corinthians that talks about, it's a little bit of a loose translation, but talks about how the people in the church, how we're the scum of the earth. And this church is designed, it started, it, it's aimed at bringing the outcasts in. Bringing the people in that, that nobody else has any time for. So one Sunday evening when I was in high school, some friends and I went to check it out to see what this place was all about. And we had some miscommunication about the service time. We got there kind of early and we walked in. And when we walked in, there was, there was all this food. It was kind of Thanksgiving-ish time and there were some turkeys and a bunch of fixings. And we were all like, I'm a teenage boy. There is food. I will eat the food. So we go through, we get plates, we load them up and load them up and load them up and load them up and load them up. And then we go and we sit at one of the tables and, I don't know, there were maybe five or six of us there and we eat and we eat and we eat and we eat and we eat, we eat, we eat so on and so forth. And then we talk for a couple minutes and then we're still hungry because, again, we're teenage boys. But as a couple of us are about to stand up and, and go get some more food, the oldest among us who Coincidentally, actually, his name was Paul, which really fits with this text. I hadn't thought about that before. Well, Paul tells us, sit down. What? Sit down. So we sit down. Like, what? What's wrong? And he kind of leans in, and he starts to whisper a little bit. And he says, look around. Like, look at who else is here. Those guys are homeless. I just heard those guys talking. They got no food at home. Guys, it, it, this food's for us. It's fine that we ate, but we can't eat anymore. Like, we have food at home. We're, we're fine. These guys, these guys need the food. No more. No more food for us. And that's, that's part of what the Lord's Supper is about. That at this meal, through the sacrifice of Christ, we have been provided with everything that we need and so we share with other people 
In Christ, we have enough. His sacrifice pays for everything. He's given us all that we need, and he has an infinite storehouse for us. And because of that, we make space for other people. We don't grab as much as we can. We don't push ourselves forward. We, we serve sacrificially because Christ's sacrifice has paid for us. And so our last movement, our last point for today is that we share in service because of Christ's sacrificial supper. Christ here in the book of, or Paul here in the book of 1 Corinthians doesn't demand that the Corinthians all pool their resources and, and everyone live at exactly the same socioeconomic level. He doesn't call for a housing shuffle or a wealth redistribution scheme. But he does call for believers to be truly together at the table. And Paul tells his readers, going all the way to us today, he tells us to examine ourselves before we partake of the supper. And there's a vertical dimension to that. There's a dimension where we should ask, do we really recognize this as the true body and blood of Christ? Do we really believe that Jesus' sacrifice was for me? And if we don't, then, then we shouldn't partake. And if we do, then we should, with gladness, participate in the supper of the Lord. But again, along with that vertical dimension, there's a horizontal dimension. And, and Paul is saying we should examine ourselves and we should ask if we recognize that the people who have gathered with us are also part of the body of Christ. We should ask if we are truly recognizing and living as if these, these people in the pews next to us are our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that dual examination and, and the reality of coming to the Lord's Supper together as the gathered body of Christ, that is transformative. In Paul's day, if a rich man shared the Lord's Supper with a slave at, at the same level, in the same way, with the same food, well, he'd have to start treating that slave differently outside of the supper if he was really embracing the gospel. If everybody matters here, then everybody matters out there too. This supper, it, it draws us closer to the Lord, and as it draws us closer to the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord also transforms us and strengthens us so that we serve the world and so that we serve and live with each other. So let me give you a couple small next steps. As we partake in the supper, what do we do next? One small example of serving the world, of, of emulating Christ's sacrifice in some very, very, very much smaller and different way, but, but taking that step. This Friday evening, as Pastor Greg mentioned at the beginning of the service, we have the opportunity to serve at Ebenezer's Food Pantry, and we are going to go there, and we are literally going to give away food to people who need it. We are going to not eat with them, but open up the table, give them space, give them what they need to survive. So if you feel the Spirit's prompting to, to step out in service, show up at Ebenezer this Friday, and in the name of the Lord, provide for people's needs. And then, we lay down our own power and privilege to serve those around us, and we also gather here as people who are truly together. 
And let me also give you just a small way to practice that togetherness this week. Again, as Pastor Greg mentioned at the beginning of this service, this Thursday evening, the Gems are doing their annual famous spaghetti supper. Show up to that. Support, support our girls' club, Gems. Spend some time with people you know or, or maybe with people you don't know quite as well and share a meal together. Be part of the community of Christ. Express the unity that we have in the Lord. Through the Lord's Supper, through this sign, the Lord equips and empowers us to serve and to love each other. But even more than that, as we share in this supper, the Holy Spirit draws us up into Christ's own presence. Through these elements, we are brought into the presence of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. The Lord invites us to his table. He invites us to his supper. He draws us here. And when we share this meal together, we experience the true community of the body of Christ. And we are equipped, empowered, and encouraged to share fellowship with each other. As we partake of the supper, you are invited to truly be present to the Lord and present to each other. And as we go out, you are invited to serve as the Lord served us, lovingly and sacrificially. Let's pray. Father, again, we are grateful for your gifts to us. We are, well, we can never be grateful enough, but we do our best to give you thanks for the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we eat this bread and drink this wine together, we pray that you help us to truly remember Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. And Father, as we participate in these elements, we pray that you truly draw us to your, into your presence and make this a time where we are shown and where we experience your grace. And Father, we pray that as we experience your presence here in this special way that you have given us, that you also enable us to go out to the world equipped and empowered to truly be your people, to be your body together as brothers and sisters in Christ and, and to be your hands reaching out to the world with your love and your grace. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to be your gathered people, to be your sent people, to be your children. And as best as we are able, even though we know it's never enough, we give you thanks for your scriptures for your spirit, for your supper. Amen.